0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Into Miyazaki's Word. And this is Betty, and I have with me today some of friends. <laughs> Avery
1: and Sarah.
0: Yeah, and we are so excited today to discuss the last Miyazaki in Studio Ghibli film. Uh, it's called The Wind Rises, and we have two more movies of Miyazaki, but non-Ghibli ones we are going to discuss soon. And uh, yeah, just looking forward for that and now we're going to jump right into the topic today
2: yeah so for The Rin Rises this film came out in 2013 and it's a historical drama it's actually a fictionalized uh, biography of Jiro and I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce his last name correctly Horikoshi um, who he is a real historical figure he was actually existing Um, and he is the designer of the Meets bushy A five M fighter aircraft, uh, and then there was also another variation of that plane uh, that were used by Japan in World War Two. Um, so the film takes place during the interwar period as well as the Great Depression in Japan, as Jiro struggles to reconcile his dreams of designing beautiful airplanes with the grim reality of aerial warfare. Uh, so the film also explores his love with uh, Nahoko and how they battle. Um, the issues with her severe illness. Um, So yeah, we have a lot of historical context for this film. So that always makes me very excited um, as a history major. Um, And we'll probably make a lot of comparisons to Porco Rosso because they're both taking place during the interwar period. So it's kind of comments on world wars and anti-war. But before we get into our first topic, which will be world building, uh, as I said, this is a fictionalized uh, biography, so Jiro is a real person that actually existed. Um, and then also from my research, Nahoko is a fictional character loosely based on um, some main female characters from this novel by Tatsuhori, uh, Beautiful Village. So I just thought that was interesting. But we can go ahead and get into world building or maybe first, like, what was y'all's first impressions of the film?
0: I love the movie. I don't know uh, the first impression I have about this movie is the poster of them um just under the umbrella and looks so romantic, <laughs> and I do expect it to be a romance, but it didn't touch that much. So yeah, but I enjoyed the movie though. It's my second favorite Chipley one.
1: I I think I had a bit of a different first impression. Um, I did I did watch it yesterday and very quickly I will say, but um. Uh, my first impression, I was kind of expecting it maybe to be also more about like a couple and stuff like that. So it was kind of, you know, I wasn't expecting not seeing any sort of kind of development in that area until later on in the film. Um, but kind of my first impression, it was very beautiful. Like the first scenes, um, kind of like the uh, sunrise and Jiro in his like dream plane and he's flying um with like the sun kind of like reflecting behind him so it was it was a very like i was like this is this is this seems like it's going to be happy you know but
2: not necessarily true <laughs> i i 100 have the same experience i think going into this movie just probably because of the poster and like uh the videos and clips you see online are all about him and Nahoko. so you assume it's going to be i don't want to say like the notebook but like yeah like have, have a romantic concentration and it definitely does not there's kind of like two competing themes and actually his romantic exploration with Nahoko doesn't happen until more than like halfway into the yeah. film so that was pretty surprising so yeah i agree uh it's just kind of not what we were expecting uh but uh i i still found it to be really enlightening and amazing um uh, but yeah i guess that's something we'll discuss uh another first initial impression i had which kind of ties into world building is that the story the the way it's told especially at the beginning because it begins, like Sarah said, where we're in his dream. This kind of shows that we're going to see the world and the film through Jiro's perspective, which I kind of feel like Jiro is somewhat of a stand-in for Miyazaki at certain points, who we know is also very interested in aviation and had those childhood dreams. It almost kind of feels like, in my opinion, that we're getting a glimpse at, like, his inner child. I don't know, but what do y'all think? Yeah, I can agree with that. I I definitely
1: I definitely feel like
2: um he's
1: kind of portraying himself and his kind of dreams and aspirations through judo
0: yeah yeah i think it's true too because it just remind me one of the quote from the movie too is just say i don't know who it's come from they say like this word is a dream so yeah it just somehow fit very well with the movie
2: yeah, I agree. And since we're on builder, or, or sorry, world building, uh, to talk a little bit about the setting. So we do see that Juro's living in more of a, I don't even know if I would call it rural, because it's not entirely rural, but it's definitely not like the big industrial cities that we see in Howl's Moving Castle, for example. Um, And so I kind of thought this was interesting, because uh, like historical context at this time, uh, Japan, they were more slow and gradual when it came to like modernization and industrialism. And so I feel like the film does a good job of capturing that and also just kind of this ideology that Japan felt like the underdog during World War I and World War II, um, they kind of felt like they needed to catch up. And I feel like it's because within the country, like their deep rooted cultural conditions often like conflicted with this Western idea of like industrialism. So I, I just feel like that's really present in the film so that's cool.
1: Yeah, you can definitely tell um, as opposed to like Porcaroso and it's it's set in a more like I think Italy sort of yeah. um, uh, scene and you can tell just major differences like with the planes like Japan in this movie like they're still they still haven't been able to um, build planes out of metal and they send jiro and Hanjo off to um learn from the germans on how to kind of incorporate that into their planes and they talk a lot about um throughout the movie jiro and Hanjo talk about how they're so far behind the rest of the world in uh, innovations uh at least with aviation and probably with other parts but um you can definitely like see the differences on what kind of like uh, the city for Japan in this movie looked like and like the city in Porco Rosso or Howl's Moving Castle looked like.
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting when you mentioned about like how we can see it's actually happened in the movie where Japan is far behind like German and Italian and I was like, I remember one scene No, not one scene the combination of a lot of sin when Honcho see like the reality that they actually be high but for um Chiro for him it's just like they gradually catch up and it's just like the repetition of like uh another version of Caproni like is that his name yeah Caproni's because he also like slowly moving from wood not not wood what kind of um yeah is that wood Was it wood wood
2: that they made their planes out of? Oh, is that what we're talking about? What was it? Uh, Caproni's planes?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it's like some kind of wood or something. And then they gradually moved to metals. Metals. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just like a reflection. And I found it interesting. Uh, Yeah, no,
2: it's it's interesting. And you bringing up Caproni in Italy, they make a lot of comparisons between Italy and Japan, which is especially interesting because Miyazaki, what are his two films about this time period? Italy. Uh, Porco Rosso, Now we have Japan. The wind rises. Uh, I believe there's at one point where Carponi kind of says like, you know, we have an, a lot in common because we both, both of our countries are very poor. Um, and so I feel like that aspect is also kind of what's making both of these countries, I I think, feel behind and feel uh very like threatened by this idea of war and wanting to catch up and wanting to expand militarily. Oh gosh, militarily? I don't know. <laughs> um, we're struggling with wor- our words today. Um, but yeah, so. I, I agree. And so I, I do feel like this is um a part of the theme of world building just because it shows that Miyazaki the man does his research. Um he, he's really set up like this uh world that is trying to reflect like the actual historical events and themes at the time. So
0: Yeah, and I think there's no doubt because at first when it first released, a lot of like controversies just brought up because people feel like Miyazaki just over-romantized like the war and what happened in the war so yeah
2: yeah i read a lot about that too um it was like very there's like very two different polarized sides some people thought uh, exactly what betty says that it was kind of showing more of a glamour side or almost as if they were glamorizing jiro because he is a real person he did build these fighter planes that japan used in world war Two. so some people thought it was problematic to uh give such a Let's just say, like, nice character um, portrayal to someone that did create very destructive um, technology. Uh, But then we also have the opposite of where some people feel like this is kind of anti-Japan, anti-nationalism. That's kind of what I read online. So it's kind of interesting we get two completely different uh, receptions for this movie. I personally think there
1: is a very clear dividing line between the romanticization of... um, like aeronautics and planes and aviation and war, and that um, that mainly Judo he wants to he wants to build his planes not as uh, tools of for war but um, because he's fascinated by them and um, he loves their beauty. Right? I think that I think there's a really clear distinguishment. So I feel like it's definitely not romanticizing them as using them for war, but kind of showing how somebody's passion can get twisted and used in a harmful way right yeah a- absolutely
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think that's right i would touch on that more when you're talking more about war but yeah <laughs> i completely no, yeah. like Just completely yeah agree yeah. with you
2: a lot of these themes are very intertwined yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of hard to separate well. them and so yeah it's like for the world building um we see so much of this war imagery which is a part of the world but then we're also going to analyze it as as its own theme so maybe just to kind of continue our world building discussion and then wrap that up uh i also wrote down about the earthquake scene because also i didn't really know where else to put that scene uh in my categories but uh i mean it once again is just kind of depicting you know the natural um environment of Japan and Sarah I think you said you looked up something about it being a real earthquake that oh happened. yeah
1: um I had seen online it it correlates I think it was with um let me let me make sure is uh, I'm so sorry <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, okay. the great cancel earthquake in Ooh. 1923 so I, I've seen this one place I'm not going to say this is like verbatim exactly the information but this is what I have read um, so it's yeah he's tra- he's really trying to incorporate kind of like real life events that happened with the earthquake, um, with like with the the bank failing. Do you, I think you kno- yeah. like mentioned something about that earlier to me?
2: Yeah. It's interesting that you said that earthquake, that this, the earthquake from the film may be based off of, you said 1923, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we know that the stock market fails in 1929, or at least in the United States, but I'm assuming, is that all over the globe? I'm not entirely sure, but around that time, right? So that is interesting because we do have a time jump. We mm-hmm. have a lot of time jumps in the film uh, from that earthquake, which could have happened in 1923. Uh, and then we eventually get to where Jerosen University, and then we have these bank closures. So the time timeline is making sense it might be
1: he might be doing that to kind of like sort of make us realize kind of just about how much time kind of linking it with like actual events that happen so we can kind of get a better grasp of oh this is how much time has passed you know that makes a lot of
2: sense yeah um i think also another uh just little observance also controversy because we kind of talked about controversy is that he's really good at reflecting this disillusionment that occurred during the depression and also just like a 1930s japanese cultural like representation in the film uh, because there's lots of smoking, and that's something that I read that some people found to be problematic. I don't think it's problematic because it's a historical genre. That's what theme it is. So, I mean, of course, they're going to have references to, like, how society was at this point in time, which involved a lot of smoking because they didn't know it was bad yet. Wait, so why did people – people
1: said it was problematic because they just the use of cigarettes is bad for you? That's what they I,
2: said? I don't know how – controversial it was like on what scale but i did read somewhere that there was like a japanese anti-tobacco league that had issues with the th- film okay i see yeah,
1: yeah. i i mm, i i can't stand behind that because it's supposed to be like historically kind of more accurate and yeah. to the times and yeah they didn't i don't think it was common knowledge back at that time that and tobacco glorifies yeah in my opinion no, it's, it's just like something
2: they're doing yeah. in the film which yeah, it's like a constant. Uh, even when he's sitting next to uh, Nahoko when they're indoors, yeah. but you know, I, I don't feel like they were trying to glamorize it. They no. were just saying this is how it was. Yeah, but
0: no, I think it's uh, interesting because we can see there's a lot of time. So the change of time is very interesting to mention. And for the smoking one, I found it interesting because we mentioned a lot about Nahoko's disease. Is um, I don't know how to say it, just say it, it's TB. So, tuberculosis,
2: <laughs> Tuber- tu- tuberculosis. Tur- tuberculosis,
0: tuberculosis, tuberculosis.
2: <laughs> Do you want to call okay. it TB? Yeah, it. I, I want to call it
0: TB. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, so we talk a lot about TB, and uh, yeah, for some of my knowledge, is can be caused from uh smoking. So, I think it's yeah. interesting.
2: Yeah, I think he even points out like, Oh, it's not good for you if I smoke inside and she's just like, I don't care.
0: <laughs> yeah, because didn't yeah.
2: her what was it? Like something about her lungs? She like... had a lung hemorrhage. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that was a pretty brutal scene. Probably not good <laughs> for, yeah, for not that. Good for her. But... Um Do y'all have any more comments about world building or maybe the score?
0: I don't like the music that much because I don't think it's as good as auto Chipley movie like some of the soundtrack depending on the parts they are in is it just like distract me a lot and okay. it doesn't fit well with the theme so
1: I can see I can see that I mean it's definitely you know it's kind of hard to show up like a house moving castle soundtrack or something like that because that's such like a just classic timeless type of soundtrack but i i personally did like it i do think it was kind of like not as prevalent i didn't notice it all the time i just noticed it some whereas in like house moving castle it's like it really contributed to like the scene and what was going on in the emotions of the characters and it wasn't so much like that in this one
0: yeah no i agree about that i think it's very good to listen to it when you have tea time or something and just, <laughs> just listen to it alone but i think it would be great because i just ran over some of um this soundtrack and i didn't know it's from this movie it just doesn't recall me at all but i use that for studying so oh. yeah in tea time it's tea so, time.
2: <laughs> It's just so surprising because it is by the scores by Joe uh, Iohashi, who we talk about a lot and we really like his music. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about this one where it's just not as, I don't know, interesting or captivating. But I mean, like Sarah said, there are a few times where it does like it is more noticeable and it does fit. Um, for me, there was really only one main scene where I was like, oh, I, I like the way the music fits into this um and it was the scene where um i bl- it's when they're throwing the paper airplane almost like a ball they're like playing catch with it and it's because during this scene they actually don't talk a lot and it reminds me of uh, that component in spirited away where chihiro is like retracing her steps and it's like five minutes it's just music no talking we kind of get something a little bit like that when they're throwing the plane and it's just music they're not really talking they might like laugh um and to me that kind of just captured like the joys of their youth, like this, is the golden time for their relationship. This is before she's very, very ill. So, but outside of that,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair because the music is very dreamy feeling for me. So I was like, mm. yeah. And besides of that, I really like um, the song that the German men perform at the restaurant. I don't know what's the name of that song, but that's so cool. And I like that. It's very um, lighthearted during the time where everybody just like very serious about the war. So I think it's beautiful. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. He said that I I remember, I think it was Castor. Castrop. Or whatever his name is. Yeah. 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 Um, He said uh, whenever he talked to Jiro, it's like they go there to kind of forget, forget everything that's wrong with the world and kind of relax and unwind. So... Yeah, that's kind of portrayed in his
0: song.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Do y'all want to go ahead and move on to another theme?
0: Yeah, yeah sure. Let's... We can talk about the big theme of the movie. Because for me, the big concept is just like how Miyazaki trying to portray the false stream of the airplane engineer. So, yeah. yeah.
2: And maybe we can start with Jiro's childhood a little bit and talk about Mm -hmm. how this dream evolves into him having to face reality. So I think one of the first things I remember outside, we kind of already talked about that initial dream he has and he sees Caproni. So we do know that he he looks up to Caproni. He's very obsessed with Italian aircrafts, which to me, that's just that's just so Miyazaki. That that was him as a child. Um, uh, and I also remember he originally wants to be a pilot. He doesn't actually want to be an engineer at first, uh, but his eyesight is bad. And I don't know if y'all remember the scene where he's just like staring at the stars to try to make his eyesight better. <laughs> it's okay. just like the being a naive child i just thought it was cute but what what do y'all think
1: um, about his childhood um yeah you can you can kind of see his dreams sort of form as you know as he realizes i think he asks is it it's either his teacher or caproni he asks oh um like, do I, it's something like, do I have to fly planes to make them or something like that? Yeah. And Caproni says something along the lines of, I've never once, like, flown a plane in my life. Um, and that, uh, yeah, that he can he can totally get into the industry and not be a pilot and he could still kind of, like, live out his dreams that
2: way. I love that his subconscious is his, like, yeah. number one supporter. He's like, <laughs> you can do it! Because this is within his dream and... I mean, I I don't know if y'all disagree with this, but it's his dream, right? Because I know Caproni's like, oh, it's our shared dream. Like, I'm pretty sure it's just Jiro's subconscious, like, interacting with his hero,
1: you know? I will say, though, um, because in in Jiro's dream, like, you see what Caproni says is his dream plane that he really wants to build um, once the war is over and then you see a postcard that kind of uh, kind of blows up during like the earthquake and the fire and he's sitting outside of the university with Hanjo and the, like the books and stuff and you see the same plane that Jito had dreamed about so is it it's it's kind of it kind of calls into question like is it just Jito's dream or are they in some way connected because how would he have known that that's what Caproni's dream plane would yeah. look like you know what i'm saying do you guys yeah. remember yeah
0: I think they somehow connected like I mentioned earlier, like how Japan just like follow the German path and then they gradually move forward with Italian people in uh, airplane industry. So I think it makes sense when Caproni just say like, oh, this is also my dream too. So it's just like our kingdom of dream, like they mentioned at the very end.
2: Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I think if there is a connection, it's more metaphorical than literally them sharing a dream. but uh, also, I was something I remembering from his initial dream with Caproni is uh, Caproni is like so he kind of acts like not sometimes as an equal because they have so much in common, but more of as a mentor. Like I, not to quote Pitbull, but been there, done that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> you did not just quote Pitbull. This is such an inside joke <laughs> joke in our friend group. I'm sorry, Chayna. Um, shout out to you. She likes Pitbull (laughs) anyway. Anyways, so I kind of feel like Caproni fits this more mentor role because he's gone through the same thing that Jiro's going through. Uh, He's also the one to first kind of, I don't want to say break his his dream, not in that sense, but kind of show him reality because I believe in that initial dream. He's. they're looking at the planes as they fly away and he's like look at them they will bomb an enemy city most of them will never return and this is when Juro's like still young and you know I feel like that was a very early introduction into this theme that we're gonna keep developing and discussing is that uh you know you can you can love something and want to do it but you can't stop humans from doing what they do monetizing and making things have to be about the productivity and the outcome, mm-hmm. and in this case, this is a this is a mobilized war economy. So,
1: yeah, as well, it's 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 interesting for Caproni. It's like yes, he he realizes that ultimately this is what his creations are being used for, and I'm sure in some sense Jito also does kind of realize that. But in that same scene, he also he also kind of like, um, kind of just talks more about his dreams about planes and says that they're not tools for war, for making money, and that they're beautiful dreams, and that they can turn them into reality. So kind of, you know, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a balance, like he Absolutely. understands, but he still wants to be able to kind of like follow his dreams and create like beautiful planes, so
2: yeah. It's, it's such a hard balance. I think especially for Juro, because we are shown since the beginning of the film that he has such a strong sense of morality and justice. And so I, I can just imagine that it's really hard on him to have to face that reality. And I think for a certain ex- to a certain extent that for most of the movie, I don't think he wants to face that reality. He seems to just, like, prefer not to think about it, and just kind of stay in his stay in his little dream world. And, like, we see this when he, he finishes his projects that the company requires him to quickly, and then kind of moves on to something more imaginative. Um, yeah, it definitely seems like he's in kind of a
1: dream world. Like, even whenever he's eating with his co-workers and they're like complaining about something he's just like look at this mackerel bone like maybe the americans like eat mackerel and like kind of like base the design uh, like in their plane wings and stuff like that like so he's just kind of you know in his own world world really for a lot of it
2: but and i i like the imagery at the beginning where he's staring at the sky because it kind of is just setting like right up front that this kid he's got his heads in the stars a little bit um head or is it heads head, head in the cloud I don't know the, but, whatever but yeah. he's looking at the stars you know so it's just kind of this idea he's dreaming he's not really wanting to face reality at least not yet um mm-hmm. but yeah and like talking about that strong sense of justice uh the example I wrote down was in the beginning of the film when he protects those little the little boy from the bullies uh and then he runs home to his mom and uh yeah, so what did y'all think about that scene?
1: Yeah, I thought I thought it was kind of random, because I thought maybe, like, it would be built on later on in the movie, kind of like, oh, he's the type of person to, I guess, stand up for the week and help people. I guess maybe he does, like, in the earthquake kind mm-hmm. of scene, but, um, yeah, I think it just kind of shows that he cares about other people and, um, like just you know is is kind of just a good person at his base level maybe just kind of trying to show that you know even if he does you know kind of design planes that are ultimately used as like weapons of mass destruction He's you know that's that's not who he really is like deep down
2: yeah
0: yeah i think the same too and i think it's very interesting when um it just show like he understand like what justice is to him even though he's, like, very young, because I think that's just passed on by his mom when she say like, the war is not, like, is unjustified, right? Is that what the quote is?
2: It's not justified, or it yeah, is justified.
0: It is not justified. Yeah. <laughs> I was
2: like, that sounds Okay,
0: right. yeah, I didn't have a quote here, I just yeah, yeah, remember, right. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I think that um, just... Like, build up his characteristic, like what Sarah just say, And I found it interesting, too, because when I ran over uh, Miyazaki, some random, <laughs> like, interview of him on the internet, he mentioned, like, uh, this movie, he cried over it because he made that one and he think it's silly, but it touched a lot on his childhood. He just doesn't get along well with his dad. And in the scene, we can see that he just... Uh, Jiro just getting along with the mom and the sister rather than a dad. So I was like, I that, think it's interesting.
2: That That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, and so that kind of makes me wonder because I believe his father in real life was an aerospace engineer or something mm. similar. Um, and so to see that he kind of has like the interest and passion for it, yet lacking the relationship with his dad, it's, you know, it kind of shows that he, or Miyazaki, um, maybe this is influenced onto Jiro, but has a disconnect between this idea of wanting to be compassionate and wanting this dream, they don't really match up in his head. Um, I also think that scene is really sweet though, because, you know, the mom is like, or, or maybe it's the sister. One of the two is like, you know, saying like, Oh, you're a hero. Good job. But he, he's like, he's humble about it like he, he just is um and we see this again later when he helps um Nahoko when she's young and her i don't i don't know if she was a nanny or i'm not sure what her role was but the woman and young Nahoko, uh he doesn't tell them his name they end up asking like hey what's your name but he doesn't tell them because he for him it's not about that it's not about the recognition it's not about the reputation and i i agree i think a lot of it comes from the, mater- the mother's influence uh 'Cause we also see that the daughter, his sister, uh, what is her name? Kayo. Kayo. Yeah, yeah Kayo wants to be a doctor, so she also must have a lot of compassion, and wants to help people.
1: Yeah. You can yeah, you can see for Kayo even, like whenever Jado comes back kind of with like some cuts and stuff from his um fight with the older boys, uh She's like, oh, I need, like, we need to put some iodine on it. Like we, I just, I need to patch you up type of thing. So yeah, they, it's like a caring family. They have a good relationship.
2: It's very cute. And you can tell that um, he's raised to be a gentleman just by the way Jiro acts throughout the film. Uh, Starts with the moment that he gets up to allow the woman to take his seat. And then that's how he ends up outside to where he meets young Nohoko for the first time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think that's great. And um, do you have any other thing about his childhood you want to mention? Or we can move to like how his dream is being like twisted a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, we can we can move on to that. So kind of like this conflict between, you know, having a passion, having this dream versus what the economy is going to demand for you, which is the reality. Um, and in this case, as we've said, like it's a war economy. Um, Something I kind of wanted to propose first is that I saw uh, a similarity with Kiki's delivery service, actually, Uh, because in Kiki's delivery service, we kind of see the same idea where Kiki's very passionate about flying, but then the moment she has to monetize it and make it her job, she becomes kind of like disillusioned with it because she's not able to maintain that creative freedom with her passion. And I would say, whereas we don't see Jira really get burnt out or disillusioned like Kiki does, we do kind of see how society, especially like a capitalistic society or war society, forces you to take a skill and a passion and kind of cram it into a box that's going to fit what society is demanding from you. Um, So I don't know. I just kind of saw that similarity.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting because for me, I draw like similarity more in Porco Rosso Because I just found some random stuff again on the internet that is originally a manga magazine. And the character is portrayed like the pig. Exactly like Mm -hmm. how Pokoroso looked like. But Chiro character on that magazine also a pig. Oh. So I think it's interesting. And uh, it's very cool when they divide into two kinds of engineering during this time. Maybe I just the one who like notice and draw some of like <laughs> hypothesis about that but I think I observed like two kind of engineering during this time. Like one who's trying to protect their beautiful dream. So they denied to cooperate with the government and then they just oh, yeah. got like killed. Like the German one, um what's his name? Doctor younger oh. Yeah. Or Hugo Chunker, I have no idea. Also,
2: Castrop, because I believe at the end the secret police are also looking mm-hmm. for him.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of uh, engineering during this wartime. And another one is just like Shiro and uh, Caproni. They want like they want their dream to still alive, so they choose to collaborate with the government to per like perceive or pursue history their dream. But at the end. Th- they just lose the war and then they also lose the dreams, so.
2: Yeah, it's kind of sad because I think for all these good qualities that we've already discussed about Jiro, at the end of the day, the reason that some people find the film controversial is because he still did what he did. He still went through and created these planes that he knew were going to be used for war and for bombing, or, I mean, he made fighter planes, so it was probably just shooting ammo. But yeah, it's just Miyazaki kind of contrasting this imaginative side of aviation and creativity. And like, it can bring, it can bring good, it has the potential to be good, but humanity that we often corrupt things and we bring in like this evil, darker theme of war and bombs. uh, It's just... I don't know. This is to me what makes the movie really sad is because it's just such a disillusioned time, and it's actually surprising to see Jiro as upbeat as he is throughout the film. Because I think personally, I'd be more like Hanjo. I think I'd be just very depressed and upset with society. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think I think that's how we were talking about how Jiro is kind of like he's kind of like got his head up in the clouds. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's kind of why he's able to be kind of less less upset and depressed about it cuz you can see Hanjo it seems like he's he's more kind of in touch with what's really going on he's um you can see him multiple times getting kind of upset about the situation and Gino's like well why is it this way like type of thing where he just you know he's not as like in tune with reality he's more like in his dreams and dreaming about what he wants to make and his passion. so yeah, it's it's it is kind of kind of like a sad contrast because you know he he really he really has a passion for airplanes. He finds the beauty in them. He can really visualize them working and how they go together, but then it's like his creations are being used for um for
2: war and destruction, you know. It's so much cognitive dissonance because it's like we we see Jiro and like when he's in the zone it's like yeah I really feel like it's athletes being the zone like he's an artist and he's in the zone when he works on things like when the boss uh but funniest character um uh, brings Jiro to his desk and he's like this is your desk nobody likes it um but Jiro he, he doesn't care he can work wherever he literally had he, he was working on the train that one time so uh it's just so cool to see how like he gets so intense and intensively like into his work and he's so imaginative like time flies and like all the imagery where like while he's creating he feels like he's actually like seeing the plane take off and so like you, you really can't help but just be like inspired by him and everyone around him at the workplace is inspired by him but then at the same time we have it contrasted with Hanjo and just kind of what's actually going around going on around him and it it leaves such a bittersweet taste in your mouth because you want jiro to be able to fulfill his dreams but then it's like maybe maybe not in this way Mm -hmm. (laughs) or not maybe definitely not in this way you can
1: you can see like whenever throughout the movie it's like um they talk about oh um this this they go to see the German planes and they go inside and they're like, oh, I wish we could leave this place for the passengers instead of filling it with bombs and stuff like that. So, yeah, they're really not in it to make machines for war and destruction. They're they're there just like for their love of um, like aviation and making planes. So, you know, you can you can see throughout it. It's like he he wants to be able to like fulfill his designs, but not in the way that they want him to. So, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I would say just have a cursed dream. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just want to uh, bring up the quote, which I, I think is really interesting. It just say like um, humanity dreams of flight, but a dream is cursed. Aircrafts are destined to become tools for slaughter and destruction. Yeah, so, I wrote
2: yeah. that one down, too. It. it that's what I'm saying with the cognitive dissonance it hurts you because you wanna support Jiro but then you're also like Jiro no like don't <laughs> don't build the plane. Mm-hmm. Don't go along with it. Um And it's just just hard because you see him so excited and animated. He almost kind of seems like a child. And I feel like that's, once again, like Miyazaki's inner child being reflected on this character, in my opinion. Uh, Because like whenever they do the first uh, test run of the plane or even actually I'll start with the when they first get to go into the workshop and actually see the plane. And even the workers kind of make a comment like the engineer has never actually come down here, Uh, which kind of just shows that Jiro... Not like he's different and quirky, but <laughs> like he, he's different in the sense that he is so dedicated to this dream that he physically wants to go see it, see the craftsmanship in person. Um, and they're kind of acting like this is something that engineers normally don't do. They just stay in their office, you know, make the designs. Uh, and then when they're going back to work and they're late and is just like, you know, frustrated that they're running late. All Giro can think of is the plane. And he's just like, I love, I love airplanes. They're so fascinating. Um, and then we see when he has his first experience with failure, um, when the, when the test plane is not able to like survive, um, it breaks down uh, that he, he, I wrote down this quote, I will never forget what I saw today. It's like an endless road has opened before my eyes. He's just so inspired. You just want, you want better for him, you want a society where he's able to create his dream passenger plane that's for people and for the benefit of humanity, not to harm it.
0: Yeah. And I think if we think of that way and re back recall back to the quote that um what is the boss name? Kuda the Power. little yeah, the little <laughs> boss guy name. Um so he said like, um, this is your table, right? Nobody wants it. Yeah. So if we apply that sentence into what you just like analyze it just maybe reflect like nobody in that room want to do these thing, but they are forced to do that because of the government so
2: i i, I like that interpretation and i 100% <laughs> agree with that um yeah yeah
1: um so i think you guys were talking about a quote that was like um oh uh there was it uh beautiful curses or aer- that, yeah, that something was like that. Yeah. Yeah. That they're just destined to kind of like cause destruction. And I was curious because, um, like at that time was commercial, like commercial flights, was it popular or was, was that cause like, you know, that's not now, that's not necessarily yeah. the case because, you know, there's like commercial air airplanes and stuff like that. And I decided to look it up.
2: That's, That's a good question. Yeah. Do you have the answer yet? Yeah. And
1: it said that it wasn't until the 1920s until it started becoming really common. So I wonder what time frame was that? when that, he's
2: working we're in the 1930s i believe because yeah. the great depression has already set in and also the fact that he's able to travel mm-hmm. to germany is but a they commercial did say, flight probably
1: yeah but they did say that japan like throughout the movie that japan was like a little bit behind yeah.
2: um the world and when it came to military planes i don't know mm-hmm. so much about commercial airlines i'm not sure
1: yeah but i just was i was curious because yeah. you know i mean that's it's it's kind of like a statement that now wouldn't necessarily be true because we yeah, do have true. commercial aircrafts and that's like, you know, the the only it's not like all the planes are being built now or like war planes. We're also thing, so. not
2: in a wartime economy. Yeah, right that's now. true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I really liked what you brought up earlier whenever they go to see the designs in Germany and about like that it would be a shame to put bombs there. Uh, Because that whole scene in general is just very intriguing to me because you kind of see the German secret police just being very weird about having the uh, Japanese engineers look around, right, even though they were giving permission by uh, Dr. Junker, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Junker, Junker, whatever, Um, (laughs) to look around um, because for me Jiro he's just an engineer admiring another engineer's work it has nothing to do about like oh I want to take some you know trade secrets back to Japan so we can build a better plane and blow up Germany like it has nothing to do with that it's just simply an artist like admiring a work by another artist is kind of how I saw it um, and they're really in awe but you know the military their focus is on like you know we don't want these people stealing our secrets and it's just kind of another conflict that we have
0: yeah because it's just weird for me because um if it happened like that um i i'm i'm not good at history but isn't it like japan's in germany and um where where is it Italy? yeah italy just allied to each other so is that the reason they just came there and learned something but yeah i just don't understand why they don't want to share the secret to get better together i don't know what it's, yeah, yeah
2: maybe because this is an interwar period so yeah. the war has not actually broken out yet that might mm-hmm. be a part of it so it's kind of like moving pieces so we know they're going to be an alliance but during this film i don't actually think they're in alliance yet um but mm-hmm. obviously they feel comfortable enough with each other to allow him to come look but not too comfortable to where they want them to know everything you know mm-hmm. um so i think that's kind of what that's about
0: um, yeah, no, that makes no yeah. sense. Cause, yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I just <laughs> yeah, in that scene, like exactly how you said it, he he does say to the soldier, kind of because they're you know they're trying to like protect. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna copy everything and like gonna steal our designs. And and he and Gito says, well, he's just an engineer and he's admiring another engineer's work. And then uh, Doctor Yunker kind of lets them um, look around the planes and mm-hmm. uh, be able to fly in one as well.
2: Yeah, and then we see that uh, Dr. Yunker eventually uh, gets into some trouble. Uh, Cash Drop drops a bit of this information. Uh, he says he fights the hand that feeds him and he will lose. So we don't know the exact context. Now I'm kind of curious if Dr. Yunker is a real person. Yeah. I kind of want to assume yes. Yeah. yeah, I think he
0: is. I looked it up like earlier. I know Caproni is a real person too. Caproni, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but...
2: Love the, I just love the historical
0: references. Yeah, <laughs> no, this one's so cool.
2: Why is it trying to make me log into the Wi-Fi? I am <laughs> logged in.
1: Yeah, it says he's fighting against his government and that
2: he will lose against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah, so he is talking about World War Two period yeah, it, in it, Germany. I just love that quote. He fights the hand that feeds him, and he will lose because that is kind of what's going on. Even Jiro, to a certain extent, is fighting the hand that feeds him because um, when the secret police, you know, want to take him away, we don't know if they're wanting to just interrogate him, investigate, Mm -hmm. we don't know what's going on, Uh, but they kind of fight the hand, quote-unquote, like, you know, by hiding him (laughs) so that he doesn't get taken up by the secret police, Um, but it also kind of just shows, uh, I think for me, like, the depression and the war atmosphere that's very present in this film, this sense of disillusionment, um, which... I've said, how many times have I said the word dissolution, But it's the only word I can really, that I feel like uh, describes what's going on. Um, And Honjo in particular is just, to me, the representation of that. Um, Not to go too far back into the film, but uh, whenever after the earthquake, you know, and everything's on fire, the university, the books, uh, there's a strong sense of irony. And this is kind of throughout the film, but especially right here where they're complaining about the fire and then they light up a cigarette, <laughs> like, yeah. right in front of the burning books. Uh, and so we kind of just see this continued sense of irony. You see it again. Um, I know in another circumstance, I'm not exactly sure where, but uh, it to me, it's just really capturing, like, th- how s- this society feels so beaten down and feels honestly lost and purposeless, I think. And so whenever you feel lost and purposeless and you're kind of, like, struggling with identity, it's easy to just latch on to What's, what's easy and like what someone might give you as an identity, which in this case, the government wants warplanes. And so they kind of just see that as their only opportunity to be able to work on planes. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs>
0: it's, so, it's so cool. Yeah, um, I'm trying to look because
2: um, well, I also wrote down, okay, so there's a scene that I scarcely remember, but I think maybe Sarah will remember it. Scarcely. So. Scarcely. <laughs> Since you watched it more recently, maybe you'll remember. Uh, I just wrote food scene, so I'm assuming they go out to eat at some time. Don't they go to yeah. eat at a restaurant? Yeah, there is a food scene. Yeah, yeah
1: he's, he's eating with his coworkers, and they're eating mackerel, and they're like, "Yes, ah, mackerel again, type of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's just, he's admiring the beautiful curvature of the mackerel. The mackerel. Yeah. So...
2: Yeah, so yeah. for that, <laughs> me and Betty have talked about in a lot of previous episodes that Ghibli always does this thing with food, where uh, it's like represents a time for relationships to develop or for us to gain some like insightful insight um, about what the characters are thinking and motivations and stuff like that. So, you know, these food scenes usually entail like meaningful conversation. And I feel like he- I believe this is the scene where Hanjo and Juro are like discussing Japan's falling behind, which you mentioned a quote from that. Uh And that they, you know, it's just, like, this desire to catch up with the rest of the world in terms of, like, industrialization. Um, And I I just find it intriguing because I believe, I don't know if it's during this scene or maybe later, but when Hanju says, you know, like, we're too far behind, we'll always be chasing. And I like Jiro's response, which is, you know, I wonder if there's a different way to run. Mm, Yeah. So it, it's just so interesting because Hancho is so bitter and disillusioned uh, and so that's not entirely great but then we also have Jiro who it, we love his optimism but also maybe it's a little too delusional <laughs> head in the clouds as we've said so I don't know uh, we need a we need a combination of their characteristics to balance it out I think. Mm-hmm. Did y'all have any other comments on like the war or political themes?
0: I, I, oh you can
2: uh, go no, you, you're good
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can go I just mentioned like um, I remember I found somewhere Miyazaki talking about um, making like aircraft and I just found a quote but I just wanted to throw out and it does isn't relevant to what you say so if you want to go first you can oh go, no I,
1: or... I was going to say that I don't have anything
0: else oh, okay. but you can, you can... <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah I, I don't know talking about um, the curse Dream of flying, I found a quote from Miyazaki. He just say like, I express my own desire for power by drawing airplanes with sleek and pointed noses and battleships with huge guns. And I found myself through um, by the bravery of sailors who, even as their burning ship sank, continued to fire their guns until the bitter end. And by the men who plunged into the hell of fire and flakes spilled forth by an enemy formation guns. It was only much later when I realized that in reality, this man has desperately wanted to leave and had been forced to die in vain.
2: Interesting. That's yeah. where did you find that?
0: It's from um, the interview with some random guy in the documentary. I did it for my class. and oh, I no. just ran into it and I was like, oh, it's interesting. That,
2: that's cool. And that very much relates to what we're talking <laughs> about here. So that's yeah. a that's a nice coincidence. Uh uh, I, I'm also thinking, I'm, I'm remind, remembering another scene um, in which... And to me, this is just this just describes Jiro and why we love him, but also why we're so frustrated with him. It's when he hosts that meeting with the design team and they're kind of goofing off and you can see that he just inspires everyone. So to me, that's a very admirable characteristic of his is his ability to be optimistic and kind of joke around despite the circumstance, which is very dark. Um, But then also, you know, he kind of makes this little joke like we need to lower the weight. So, I mean, we could take out the guns and then everyone laughs. But to me, I was like, you know. Should we be laughing about that? You know, you know it's it's complicated. I feel, um, <laughs> but it also shows it's kind of like naive. He has a lot of naive optimism, I think, and I feel like this scene really displays that, in my opinion. But
0: yeah, mm. I love that scene too. It's just like the bright side of among like the dark thing. Yeah, like before and after that scene, it just like. Really bad, and I think as um it's like at the very end of the movie, right, just right after that, I kind of spoil, but yeah, Naoko just died, and then he he just like went to the war, and his- his airplane just got used, but then they lose the war, and then everything just gone, so just like the bright side among the dark things, so,
2: yeah. <laughs> and then we have hanju who's like the exact opposite He's pretty pessimistic most of the film uh, yeah, He's always making references about Japan will blow up and it's just Sometimes I feel like it's out of nowhere I'm like oh my gosh Like, so this is something that's on his mind uh, Constantly it seems yeah. I mean they and
1: usually in those scenes They are talking about like oh what are they gonna do with those planes They're yeah. probably gonna bomb all these places
2: and then they're like japan will blow up so yeah i remember yeah. at one point they're like who do you think we're gonna bomb with this and they go probably america yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny um but yeah and i i also like this quote from Jiro. i forgot I wrote this down we aren't arms merchants we just want to build good aircrafts and that really just describes everything that we're talking about here um and then i had one more little thing to say about the depression and then if you all have anything more to add uh, do you all remember that scene where, and this also shows Jiro's compassion and that he does have this innate desire to help people. Um, so it's whenever it's into the depression. So the banks have failed, all of that. Uh, and he's getting like a sponge cake. I don't know if it's after work. I don't remember. And there's like those orphans, or I think they were orphans, the three kids. And he tries to give them the sponge cake, but they run away. That whole scene. So to me, that just, I don't know. That was an impactful scene for me. Because it just shows how untrusting people feel during this time. Uh, and also just, like, the severity of it. Because the fact that the kids are just starving, standing there. I think they were waiting for their parents, maybe? Maybe they weren't orphans. Um, do y'all remember that scene?
0: Yeah, I think <laughs> they are waiting for their parent. according to what the old, like, not lady, old man, old man said at the store. But, yeah, like you say, it just expressed, like, how people dealing with hunger during that time, so
1: yeah yeah and it seems like they kind of like hesitate and think about taking it yeah. and then they just you know yeah, end don't. up deciding
2: not to it was like the older sister that i think was kind of like leading them like no but the younger siblings seem to want to take it uh mm-hmm. but to me like i don't know we just have all these instances where we see that jiro does hold a lot of empathy and compassion for other people and especially the way he loves uh Nahoko, of course like that love is very beautiful and he's very dedicated to her However, you know, kind of the problematic nature of him building these planes that are going to be used for war. I wonder if for him, it's almost like because we talk about his head being up in the clouds and out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. You know, he's building these planes. He knows what the intentions are, but he's not going to actually like pull the trigger. He's not the one that's actually going to see them destroy whatever they're going to destroy, you know. So I feel like maybe having that sort of distance kind of allows you to alleviate the guilt yeah. of making those decisions so as the engineer.
1: I think at the end, he kind of, that all does come like as a realization to him. Cause he's, you know, in his dream, whatever uh you would call that. I think it was a dream. Uh, he's walking along like just, just wreckage of yeah. Japanese planes. And then there's just, I guess I think it's Japan like burning and just billows of smoke and fire and destruction and he's talking to Caproni kind of for the last time and he's you know he's like none of them came back um like they caused all this destruction um and yeah it's it's you know I think he he kind of like he realizes after kind of through the war and kind of seeing what happened and seeing kind of what came of his creations, he realizes kind of, like, the destruction yeah. that that came with it. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. So do y'all want to, because I'm excited to talk about the ending and the quote, do y'all want to move on to talking about love and his relationship with Nahoko, And then after that, we can talk about the ending of the film. What do y'all think?
0: Yeah, I can go mm-hmm. whatever you want okay cool
2: <laughs> um so yeah i i i think right off the bat something we all notice is the parallel with uh porco Russo. so i guess we'll start when they're young so uh nohoko is on the train with her nanny i don't know is she a nanny what do we think some sort <laughs> of nanny yeah because she's she's a she's a girl of the upper class which is something that i noticed and i don't really feel like this movie has a strong like theme or i don't know opinion of classism but it was kind of there for me, cause like you could just tell that she was uh from a wealthier family. So to me, that contrasts very much with. Oops, um, that contrasts very much with like uh, the children we were just talking about. Um, but yeah, he uh what is it? His hat falls off and she catches it, mm-hmm. and we see that in Porcarosa. So that was cool. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a
1: theme, like with the hat flying away, like. <sighs> Even when he meets her again, she's kind of lost her umbrella and he catches it as well. Um, I think she is it. it? I don't I don't know. There's a lot of hat catching and, you know, it's kind of like signifying these moments of like, you know, they're noticing each other. They're, you know, they're kind of like making a
2: connection. Um, but yeah. I, I think you were were you about to recall that other scene where her hat falls off again when they're playing catch with they were playing. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Because okay. he catches it again. Because <laughs> no, I, I could see where your brain was going. I was yeah. like it. happens a lot. It, it's
1: it's yeah. kinda it's like it's kinda like symbolism of their connection growing yeah. and you know, kind of like them doing like kind things for each other. Like, Absolutely. oh here I'll I'll like catch your hat if you catch mine type of thing, you know. But it's... Very cute. Very mutualistic
2: relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I've loved that about and, it. And you know,
1: and it's just out of like pure kindness because, you know, yeah. she didn't have to like almost fall off the train <laughs> trying to catch his hat and he didn't he didn't like have to almost like He'd be blown away in the wind trying yeah. to catch her umbrella. So, you know, it kind of just shows like pure hearted, genuine caring. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, I love that too. And I just see like the wind during their connection. It's just like a metaphor of how they are like bring the wind, bring them together. So yeah. yeah, I just love that.
1: Yeah, and even sorry, this is this is kind of like jumping all over the place. Even at the end, whenever he's testing his final plane that finally works, and um, Naholko is going back to the sanatorium, um, as the wind, is the plane is coming in, like the wind kind of blows the opposite way, and he looks and he doesn't see kind of like his plane like finally coming yeah. in, and it's you know I think yeah the wind does kind of symbolize. Maybe, like, where, like, them coming together or something like that. But, yeah, uh, yeah it definitely kind of binds them together in a I, way.
2: Yeah, and I think the important thing is, is that the wind is not consistent. And we will see that the relationship mm-hmm. is not able to remain consistent either. Um, I think also I believe that they start this relationship, like, when he uh, first, like, goes to the hotel and, you know, meets her as an adult. I believe mm-hmm. it's during the summer because I think they make some sort of reference to that. And so we have, like two very like clear uh, symbolic takes where it's like summer love doesn't last and then the wind you know it blows and it can bring people together but the wind also is not something that lasts forever Uh, and so from the beginning we know that their love is doomed to a certain extent uh yet i still wasn't prepared (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and even at the very end it's
1: kind of it's it's you know nahoko is kind of like synonymous with the wind um caproni says she was beautiful like the wind as she yeah. kind of blows away into the wind <laughs> in his in his yeah. vision. But um was that C- Caproni said that?
2: Yeah. Oh. I I didn't remember. Yeah. yeah, I was just like why is he saying that? Why is he talking about her woman uh, or his wife? Well, I you know, <laughs> no, he, I'm just kidding. if we view
1: it as like it's kind of his subconscious
2: then it's kind of yeah. like himself sort of saying it. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I just realized I totally, when I, because I wrote down that scene, I totally put that Jurose on that, so I can't play. Yeah. (laughs) I put it, I just,
1: you know, I always try to put down, like, who said things exactly,
2: just because, you know, kind of. I have to go in at the end and, like, I'm like, I don't know who said this, I'll just put who I think said (laughs) this. Yeah, I do remember. It was, was you know,
1: it was him, but she was blowing away. But you can also kind of see, like, she was blowing, like, the wind was blowing away from Jiro in the scene like she was blowing away from him yeah. it's kind of like you know where she goes the wind goes type of thing
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, sweet yeah I think it's very interesting because earlier they're talking about the um airplanes which like a lot of them go but none of them come back and just like the wind so I think mm-hmm. it's very relevant to mention like um when Cabernet just mentioned like Nahoko just led a, tr- uh, a wind mm-hmm. and just gone so I think I, I don't know, it just makes sense cuz they just going on with their dialogue. So yeah, but I like that quote. Uh, it,
2: yeah, it's it's so it's so in- interesting cuz we have such a we have a positive and a negative connotation for the wind cuz it doesn't last, but it's also what brings them together in the yeah. first place, mm-hmm. especially considering that the wind blows the his hat off, the wind blows her parasol out of her hands, yeah. and this is how they make those uh, two connections. Um, and then I also think uh the, the scene with the parasol when it blows away that, you know, he returns it, uh, he does a good deed and then just like last time he just walks off. Doesn't say his name. Um <laughs> <laughs> he dips. And to me it was a little drawing. I'm like, You're not even gonna try to talk to her. Yeah. Also, I was kinda wondering if they even recognized each other. Oh well, because um, it's think, been years. I think she like sort of kind of I thought it like kind of felt maybe if he even if he didn't like look exactly
1: the same she kind of felt like the same vibe like oh he's just done this good deed and kind of yeah. like gone like just off into the wind I guess but um yeah what's what's really interesting yeah there is kind of like contrasting views if you can see the wind oh it's bringing them together but then it's also in some ways causing destruction like during the earthquake (laughs) during the earthquake the wind kind of like brought the fire across japan and was kind of like spreading uh spreading destruction and stuff like that um but as well there is another scene that i that i remembered it's whenever they finally kind of like realize um, later on oh this is this was the girl from the earthquake this was the guy from the earthquake um so he meets he finds uh the goes, like painting stuff so he keeps going and he gets to this sort of like spring and she's standing yeah. in front of it um and she says she says um please don't go I asked the wind to bring you here to me so um it's kind of like
2: once again it's all kind of like roped together oh yeah And then later when he confesses her love to her and actually asks her to marry him, uh, you know, she says, you know, I have tuberculosis and all that. Uh, But she also says, you know, I loved you since the day the wind brought you to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: It, it's so sweet. And, and even their initial connections. Uh, I know, Sarah, that you kind of, out, outside of the podcast, she kind of talked a bit about how she felt their relationship was rushed. And I can entirely, I, I really can see that. Um, I think it's because we have such two big competing themes. And mm-hmm. if we wanted to, like, really develop both of them, it would need to be a longer movie or two separate yeah. movies. Um, it almost seems, but, like, two separate yeah. now that we talk about yeah. it. Yeah, but uh, the... Regardless, I feel like the moments they do have together, even if it does seem a little rushed, they're so they feel so genuine and realistic. Like you really can feel that these two people love each other. So even if we feel like that, their maybe a relationship was a little rushed because, I mean, he literally asked her to marry her. What, like three days after being at the hotel? Um, or was it or was it the whole summer? We because don't. They were there. It's for the, confusing. You did, like the time jumps. The time jumps are confusing. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like the moments we do see them are so genuine that to me, it really, it it really convinced me of their relationship personally. Um... Yeah. I just I don't know. I just yeah. also this kind of idea that she's she's been looking for him, you know, and he's been kind of looking for her, like not always literally maybe like a subconscious thing. But for her, you know, when they finally read and she's like, you know, um, I asked the wind to bring you here. Uh, She's just so sweet. And she's like, you know, I remember you are our hero. Like this is something that has stuck with her since childhood. And I think that's such a beautiful connection.
0: Mm hmm. But I'm just a little bit mad because he doesn't even realize her at first until (laughs) he's like she said that. I was like,
1: he's kind of like, but you know, he's also kind of like got his head in the clouds. He's aloof. He's aloof. He's a guy. And, and we also <laughs> talked
2: about it's like a good thing and a bad thing. Like we want him to recognize her because that seems like, oh, true love. He remembered her. But at the same time, we know Jiro. He does good things for the sake of doing it, not mm-hmm. because he wants any sort of compensation out of it. Because like I talked said earlier, like she, she was from the upper class. Like if you would have told those men his name, they could have probably financially compensated him for helping her, but he didn't. That's just kind of his thing. He just, you know, you know, I was there at that moment. You know, I saw someone in need. I helped. Now I'm I'm gone. So I feel like that's part of the reason he doesn't recognize her. It's because also she looked so, like, looked so young, you know, in that scene. I didn't even put together that they were the same person at first because they look completely different to me. Um, Whereas Jiro's young self and his older
1: self looked the same to me. Yeah, because I think she was, she... Probably was definitely younger than him. I don't know yeah. how much um, it could have been. I don't know if she was, like, terminally ill at that point. I don't know yeah. when she had, like, when she got tuberculosis. I don't know, but kind of, like... It's either that she's a lot younger than him or she was kind of sickly
2: maybe you know betty and i were talking about that i think that their age difference is probably like five to ten years somewhere in there so i think in that scene because he was in high school or university right i think she was in middle school or like a freshman in mm. high school uh, in like american school terms uh
1: yeah because isn't it i i feel like it's either like maybe his like first year of college yeah so it, it could be that she's like maybe like an eighth grade that's like five years I
2: think yeah I don't I don't know and and for us because you know we're modern uh viewers uh you know this seems like such a big age gap however uh Porco Rosa's age gap was way more problematic so I don't know what to say Uh, (laughs)
1: and he it was just so much more like kind of disrespectful as well you know because you know he's He's you know
2: seeing it as just a kind deed not yeah. to try to like no ulterior motives. Yeah. Um Porco was a middle-aged man. Jiro is probably like in his I don't know. He was uh, a literal depends. pig. <laughs> yeah, it depends throughout the film, but I I know that Porco Rosa it's kind of apparent that their age gap is a lot bigger than Jiro. Yeah, Giro and, and uh, I think yeah. I think as as it goes on um as you
1: get older I don't think 5 years is as big of Once a you're gap. you're both adults. Yeah, yeah. cuz you know when they
2: meet again it's like they're both like well, they're both adults, into being adults right? So yeah. yeah. Also, something that isn't really focused on too much in the scene, and I kind of, or in the movie, but I wish they had touched more on, is the fact that Nohoko paints. because um, to me, that kind of uh, shows that J- Jiro and her have that similarity, and that they both create art. And I don't really know why Miyazaki didn't do more with that. Cause I don't know. To me, I thought that made their bond even more unique that they share that interest in being creative. Um, but they didn't really do anything with that. Um. So I don't know. I think it's probably probably because the movie was already like too long, too, too <laughs> long. It was a very long no, movie. No, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I and mean, we Sarah was saying that it kind of feels like two different films. It's because like we don't even get to the romantic story until halfway through the film, which just emphasizes mm-hmm. again that we have these two themes that are really big that he's wanting to explore, but all within a two-hour time limit. It's it's difficult.
0: Yeah. No, I like the idea. Like. We should have that comparison because for me, I still stuck at the point like he doesn't recognize that girl. And it just showed me like he loved the tri- his dream more than the love he had for Naoko. And I don't know if it's uh, on purpose that Miyazaki did the movie most of them about his dream rather than with Naoko or not.
1: Yeah, that's actually I mean? that's so sad. Now that yeah. we think now that I'm thinking about it cuz I wasn't as moved when I watched this movie. I was like, oh, I I could maybe cry, but I won't, you know. Oh, yes. But <laughs> now that now that we're kind of breaking it down, it is it's <laughs> quite sad because like you said, it seems like he almost does value his dream over Nahoko cuz you know, she comes from the sanatorium to live with him with the Kurakawas and you know he goes off to work and Kaio, his sister, even says like you leave here her here alone like how could you do this to her? She's she tries to look like she's doing better um, mm-hmm. than she actually is and you know and even even whenever he's he's working on his drawing and she's kind of like laying there beside him, um going to sleep um and she's like hold my hand like you'll work better. It just seems like yeah his focus should probably be more on his terminally ill wife than his 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 dreams but it's also kind of
2: like hard to say since it's not like yeah. it's not like it's our dream right but yeah i don't know i'm i'm gonna agree and disagree because I, I i do think that there is something there where it's like you know uh maybe she's not getting the attention she deserves, but also there's multiple times in the film where uh it is shown that Nahoko does not want to be a burden on jiro she wants him to be able to accomplish his dream she wants to support him uh i remember The father saying at one point to Jiro, like, the last thing Nohoka wants to be is a burden to you. Um, And I feel like Jiro tries when he can, like, whenever she first has uh, the lung hemorrhage uh, and she's... Not, she's not hospitalized. She's at her estate, but she's bedridden. Um, he takes the first train out to get there, and he's crying. He's crying literal tears, and to me, he's that's crying not...
1: tears as he's like working on his oh, plan. That is yes. true. Science.
2: That is true. And um, so I, I do think, I do think it shows that Jiro has this internal conflict between his wife versus his work. But I also feel like. That's not something that's particular to Jiro. I think this is something that pretty much everybody has to deal with, is having that work-life balance. Just in this context, it's even more traumatic because this is during the Depression, and we don't really know Jiro's financial situation, but he's clearly not as wealthy as his wife, and I don't really know how much money he gets from her. Um, I don't know. To me, it's just like, I agree that I agree that it, it's just complicated. It's just complicated. Um, he's He's... It's supposed to be morally gray I don't think we're supposed to make like a concrete decision on whether Jiro is a bad husband or not I think it's more about us acknowledging that it's complicated and it's hard and that he's trying to balance it and in the end we see that you know while he was attempting to balance it maybe it didn't matter anyways because he ends up losing both his wife and his dream yeah um, I Mario,
0: I agree with that and yeah no <laughs> For me I really want to like see their love in like a very beautiful way cuz that's what I observe at first when I watch the movie but when I rewatch and I do some research about a historical context and everything it just like yeah but I didn't like I didn't feel like he doesn't love Naoko but just like hard to it, balance. He's just like, is having say?
2: like an inner conflict. He's having two yeah. different things that are pulling two different ways, and to validate y'all's uh, more skepticism of him. I mean, uh, Kuda Kudagawa, the boss, literally, when when they when they find out he's engaged, he's like, "I thought you'd marry an airplane." Like they just think it's the funniest thing ever because they can't imagine Jiro having a life outside of work. Essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I do think it's fair to say that you know he has difficulty um, balancing his. Priorities, because his wife should be the top priority Mm -hmm. and the uh, airplanes should be second. And I think depending on the scene, it kind of changes which one he is um, just holding up a little higher at that moment, uh, because he he does. We talk about her choosing to leave the sanatorium to come live with him he does make a comment to the boss if because he doesn't want them to be together originally right because they're unmarried um he makes a comment like well if you won't let us then (laughs) i'm leaving i'm not going to finish your plane then you're gonna have to find another engineer um and to me that that meant a lot uh i know actions speak louder than words but i think he was serious and i think if they wouldn't have let uh nohoko stay there at the house with them i think he would have left personally Mm
0: -hmm. and I love the scene where um Jiro just sitting there doing his um sketch about the plan and he's holding Naoko's hands yeah I think that seems so sweet like he tried to hold both his dream and his love
2: and he even says that like having you there holding my hand like made it better made it easier for me to get it done like you helped me um or some he says something like that uh yeah, he says uh, he couldn't have done it without her, basically, and you know then he falls asleep because he's exhausted. He's been mm-hmm. up for like days, uh, and she she takes his glasses off and tucks him in, and that that was very sweet as well. Um, also, something we didn't know is whenever she has the hemorrhage and he comes to her immediately, uh, she wasn't expecting him, you know, but the, their reunion, that one actually had me crying. That one was pretty impactful for me. He's like, I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't, I'm sorry, I wasn't here sooner. And she's like, you'll catch it. Uh, and he's like, you're beautiful. I love you. That, that's his response to that. I'm going to cry. No, that's like really
1: no, that
0: so sweet.
2: Okay, but, so... <gasps>
1: Okay, not not to rain on the parade. But I do I do have a genuine question. Do you think do you guys think he caught it's tuberculosis? Tuberculosis? Okay. Do you think I mean <laughs> because I know what it is it is um kind of transmitted through was it
2: like um I mean contact with another person yeah. that has it. So
1: what do you guys so, think?
2: Yeah, we were talking about this at when we were eating lunch, actually, together. Um, <laughs> And so, but from what I looked up, because my first question was, is there a vaccination for tuberculosis? Which I was like, I I know we have one now, but I mean, like in the film during this time period, was there one? My understanding is yes, like the tuberculosis vaccination already existed. I don't know how widespread its use was. So I don't know. You know, Nohoko, we don't know her actual like health history information, but uh, her mother was going in and I kind of wonder if maybe she has an autoimmune disease. So maybe that kind of leads to her having tuberculosis at such a severe level to where she, uh, dies from it. Um, whereas Jiro, I mean, maybe Jiro's vaccinated. This is all speculation. Yeah. Um, but she is still seemingly concerned that he'll catch it, but I feel like Nahoko might be someone with the autoimmune disease. I kind of, I don't know. That's my it could theory. be. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I see that theory being true. <laughs> <laughs> just my intuition. Who knows? Just my um, little thoughts. <laughs> but I, I really, I think my that's one of my favorite scenes in the film is that whenever they reunite right there, because it's just so beautiful and sweet, um, especially his response, because she's always so concerned. She doesn't want to be a burden on him, and she doesn't want him to get sick, and he's just like, you're beautiful. I don't, I don't care. I love you. Like, I just want to be here with you. And And I don't know, the tears for me... Uh, like from Jiro when he's crying because he learns that uh, she's hurt. He's crying while he's getting ready. He's crying while he's on the train and it's falling on his like uh, paper that he's working on. I don't know. To me, that was just something that was very notable, I think, because during this time period, too, um, men aren't supposed to cry. And, you know, that's like, quote unquote, traditional gender roles. Men aren't supposed to be emotionally open like that. And Jiro just, he doesn't listen to that at all. You know, he's very emotionally in tune and open, I feel. Um so I don't know, he's not afraid to display his love for her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's that's so beautiful. I I feel like I bias, but <laughs> I don't know, but when recall back to the very end of the movie, um so it just like it, his dream came true, but it's not the way he want to be, but he didn't even cry for that. And yeah. he cried for Naoko. And yeah. I was like, mm. I don't know I, I'm too biased I don't know
2: it, It's. I think we just can all agree That it's complicated And we can't really say He's a terrible husband But we also don't want to say He's the best Because you know There's mm-hmm. just kind of yeah. Back and forth um, There's issues But I, I think we can say That Nahoko did nothing wrong (laughs) She is the perfect (laughs) wife um you know she she even told him up front when he was like i i want to marry you and she's like well i need to tell you something like she didn't hide it from him she's like i my you know i have tuberculosis my mother died from it i could die from it and i want to marry you but i want to get well first and she makes that her priority and then i love this quote that she tells to her father when she makes the decision to go to the sanatorium in the mountains she goes i want to get better father because i want to have a life with jiro um, and I, I think that's really precious, her having that motivation to not just get well for herself, but because she wants to spend her life with the person she loves. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. This is the hardest part, I think, of
1: the film to talk yeah. about. It's so sad. I think it's my favorite part of the film as well, if I'm going to be honest. I mean, I enjoy um, the parts about the airplanes and Jiro's kind of like progression with his dream. But I, I do find that that part of the film with him in the hoko, it is it is the most impactful to me. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just fun. It kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like the calm before the storm a little bit, you know, because he's sent there to rest after kind of failing with his last design. Her of his hotel. Yeah. Yeah. After failing with his last design of his plane and he's like randomly meets her again after all this time. And they kind of have like a beautiful summer. And it's it's nice, but it's kind of fleeting. I I don't know. I really liked that part of the movie.
2: Mm-hmm. I to move on to like another scene. Uh, the next thing that happens is when she actually runs away from the retreat to go see Jiro. So I don't know. <laughs> what do you all think about that scene?
1: I. It makes me wonder. Does she? Does she do this because she believes that? She's that the treatment's not working, and that she just wants to spend kind of her last moments with Jiro, or is it that because she misses him so much, she will kind of she just wants to be with him? What do you guys think?
2: I think it's both, mm. yeah, yeah, I think it's both. Um, in I feel like there's this desperation in her to see him as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I think she says to him, like, you know, like, I just needed to see you um, when they first reunite. But I I agree that I think the first thing you said that, you know, she might know that her condition is not getting better. um, But she doesn't want Juro to know that. And so Mm -hmm. that's why she's just more like, I want to see you. But I feel like there is a deeper meaning to it. Like, I need to see you yeah um it's just so sad and i remember you know she he they run up meet each other and he's just like i'm here are you all right my love can you walk and he said my love okay sorry <laughs> just so sweet. yeah and then like she, he even tells her like because she's like i know i should probably go back and he's like no no don't go back like i want you here um yeah which okay to
1: me not, not, to, not to run on the parade again. But to me, that's kind of like, I, I feel it's sort of selfish of him to sort of say these things when he knows she's really sick. She obviously needs treatment. It's kind of like if, if he really had her best interest, would he not just send her back or would he not go and be with her in these times? I don't know. It's a gray area. I do. I do say you can. You can, can interpret it like, oh, it's so sweet. Like that, he wants to spend, kind of like these precious moments with her. Or you can interpret it as if you know, like if he truly cares about her, why isn't he trying to do what's best for her? Uh,
2: while while I do s- see the argument with that, I also think that considering the time period and considering just that the medical system uh, is not as advanced during this time, I and that she's she's kind of. She's terminally ill, right, because there's not an actual, I don't believe, like, cure to people that actually contract tuberculosis during this time, other than just kind of writing it out and hoping that you get over it. Um, And especially if she does have autoimmune disease, I think it's really her choice to decide what she wants to do or not. If she doesn't think the treatment is working and she wants to decide how she's going to spend her, you know, her last week's days, whatever it is, uh, I think that's her right. So I I think it's complicated because... Yeah, maybe we want Jiro to be like, no, you need to go back to the retreat. I want you to get better, but also at this time, I think Nohoku kind of knows deep down that there's not much time left. So I don't know. It's, yeah, it's hard. To I talk see it about. both ways. It's hard to talk about because I, I think like a modern um, a modern version of this because you know we don't really contract and die from tuberculosis much anymore because of vaccination. Um, I would imagine uh, I don't know if someone had a brain tumor right and there, there's a chance that they could go through this treatment and they might survive but it's a very slim chance and so they either get to decide to go through this treatment it probably won't be that fun but you might live or go travel the world and just spend the rest of your days traveling the world to me that's kind of the decision that she's having to make am i going to try to get better because at this point i don't think she believes that it's going to happen or am I going to make a decision to at least live the rest of my days happily? I feel like she's making a very difficult decision. And so I don't know if it's Jiro not caring or maybe him just not wanting to confuse her decision that she's already made her mind up about. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I see it. I, I you, can, you really can interpret it a bunch of different ways. But yeah, yeah. I definitely like that interpretation as well.
2: And, yeah, maybe maybe it's me being a little naive. Maybe I'm a little aloof, like Jiro. I don't know. I just, I, I think I just expect more out of him than that, especially seeing where he came from as a child and his attitude and his compassion and morals. I just think I expect more from him. And then the department, I feel like he's definitely failing in is the whole airplane thing and not really, like, taking the accountability on him making this design and what's that what that's going to end up being in reality. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, maybe do you want to talk about (laughs) this is so depressing you want to talk about their wedding ceremony that's a little less sad do y'all have any thoughts about that scene?
0: no I mean it's just like a ceremony that um, like make them truly like what's the word I couldn't find a word anymore, but um, maybe just like how they can truly live together, like husband and wife. Maybe that's the word. But yeah, I just love that scene because it just show like how they actually like bond to each other rather than just like dating status. Yeah. So I love that scene. And yeah, I love how you mentioned earlier, like the boss just help them celebrate the ceremony and then allow them to live together and that's just what chiro want to do yeah or he just like leave the company and just go somewhere yeah
2: yeah it's a it's a beautiful scene we also see a lot of like japanese custom culture tradition with the way they set it up and it's like um you know can can we come in or something and then he's like um Or, no, I think the boss says something like, this guy is, he he says some insults. He, like, insults Jiro. He's like, this guy is dumb. But, I mean, if this is what she wants, she can come in. (laughs) That scene was funny. Uh, But, yeah, she does come in, and she says, probably one of my favorite quotes is just that all Jiro and I have in this world is each other. Um, And then she says that she feels like she's in a dream. And to me, that the use of the word dream is probably very much intentional. Her dream is Jiro. And I I do think that kind of adds to that more skeptical lens that I feel like you identify a little more with Sarah. Is that the fact that to her, her dream is just to get healthy so she can live a life with Jiro. For Jiro, he has two dreams that kind of compete. Yeah,
1: definitely.
2: And I feel like at the end, it kind of
1: like wraps up both of them pretty nicely yeah
2: or sadly i don't
1: know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah
2: i feel like after this moment after they get married the film goes by so quickly after that Mm -hmm. everything happens very very quickly it's It's like the last 20 minutes basically yeah it's like a domino like just everything's been tipped over now um you know he goes back to working on his project he completes the design goes out to the field to test it and meanwhile she's um you know writing letters because she's gonna leave um <laughs> whenever uh, Kudakawa's wife i don't know her name but she says to uh, kayo like let her go you know she wants him she wants him to remember her as she was what do, what do you all think about her decision oh there
1: um Kudakawa's wife
2: or or nahoko sorry uh, right, nahoko's decision um oh, yeah never mind. Sorry, i i <laughs> wife says let her go she wants to remember uh, she wants him to remember her as she was so what do you all think of nahoko's decision to leave for that reason.
1: <laughs> I I think it's understandable. It's I I she doesn't she doesn't want to be a burden to him and she doesn't she doesn't want him to to worry about her worsening condition and she kinda yeah. wants he wants she wants him to have happy memories of her. And um yeah, I, I, I do I understand that decision and I I don't know if that's something I would choose that if I was in that situation, but
2: I, d- I definitely don't think it's like
1: out there,
2: you know? <laughs> You know, you know what gets me is that right after that, so we know while this is happening that Jiro is trying to see if his plane succeeds, and you kind of brought this up where he has like that moment of hesitation where it just he, he it's like he knows something is off, and so my my thoughts went to the same place. It's like is he realizing that you know Nahoko's left? How, like does he have some weird like sixth sense? But my I don't know. I feel like it could be that, or is he realizing the destruction that his creation will cause? Because that's also what has just occurred or maybe both. Maybe he's wow. thinking about yeah, both. Yeah, it could be both. It's it's just that scene to me is so pe- peculiar. Peculiar. Oh my god, it's just <laughs> strange because <laughs> you can't really tell what what is causing this like weird reaction yeah. from him. He's very hesitant to go celebrate with everyone. Is it because of the plane? Because of his wife? You know. And that's that's kind of like
1: what you've I've seen with a lot of like Miyazaki Ghibli films. It's just like it's it's really up for interpretation. It could, it, a lot of things could just mean, you can interpret it in many different ways and kind of like really um, see the story like through your own lens. You know, there's a lot of different ways yeah. you, can, you can
2: look at it. So what do y'all think about that ending scene then? Or do y'all have any more to say about the romance?
0: No? I don't think so. What,
2: so what do y'all think about that end scene then? Cause that's a great example of what you're talking about where it's so open to interpretation.
0: I mean, the ending made me confused a little bit because I don't know if it's his dream or not. But now, now I, yeah, maybe it's just a dream and just like how he um, deal with it one more time before he gave up actually his dream. Yeah. Because um, he dreamed a lot about the plans and the dream of love, right? And then now love is gone. The dream of plan also gone. And at the ending, when Nahoko just say to Chiro that you must try to leave, that one caught me so much because it's just like everything, like his dream, he's a dreamy person, right? And his dream is just gone. He might be very like depressed and not want to yeah. like hold on anymore. And that quote cool, just caught me so much because she completely understand what Chiro feel. And even though it's in his dream, he, she just wanted him to like just hold on there and move on. So I think it's a beautiful ending, but it's sad. It was
2: so it sad. It is. It is very sad. Um, I. It's kind of to me. It, it feels like such an intimate moment, despite the fact that Mr. Caproni's just standing there. Like, you know, I feel like they're having like a little moment together. And then Mr. Caproni's just, you know, he's just there. It's kind of like third wheeling. Yeah. But um, it is a very beautiful scene. I just thought that was a little odd. Yeah. Um, But uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, play with words uh, during the scene, like, you know, it's it's like, this is our kingdom of dreams, but now it's the land of the dead. So you can see that, you know, the carnage of all the planes like Sarah talked about. But then also in the Hoko is here because she has died. Um, This is really uh, cementing that fact, I feel. Yeah. Um, Also, Caproni makes this interesting comment, or at least I thought it was interesting that he's like, you know, so how about those 10 years in the sun? Did you live them well? Because I don't know if y'all thought of Icarus at all, like Icarus and he in Greek mythology flew to close to the sun and that melted his wings. I feel like I, I don't know if he's making that reference here, but I could see that. Like, do y'all think Jiro was uh, too advantageous with his dreams and that it backfired? I don't know. I
1: I don't know. I, I think he he did end up like creating the plane that he dreamed about, but it was kind of like. Maybe it was kind of bittersweet for him because yeah. he finally completed it, but it was they none of the, none of his planes came back. they were all like destroyed, and it was just it caused so much destruction and you know i i think i i think it it could oh, sorry. <laughs> I think it could be kind of like what you're talking about with Icarus.
2: Yeah. And also, uh, along with what you're saying, the fact that not a single plane returned because mm-hmm. they referenced that. But I- I'm surprised of how you answer that, because um, what I what I was thinking, <laughs> you might say, because of your more skeptical view on their relationship. I thought you might think that uh, like him flying too close to the sun was kind of wanting too much, wanting both of his dreams, wanting Nahoko and to build the dream plane and trying to juggle both of those. And in the end, he loses both. But I I see that too. Maybe it could be. A I combination. can no, honestly I see them all. And this there's so many ways you can look at it. And yeah.
1: I agree I agree with that too. There's many different interpretations. But yeah, this this ending scene is is definitely like kind of like the death of both of his dreams, kind of his love. And you know yeah. you see you see his planes. Kind of it's like how it was in Porco Rosso. Like you see kind of like the planes going up into like the plane heaven. And like there's yeah. a bunch of planes and they're flying. And it's it's kind of like. You know the death of both of his kind of passions
2: in life um it, it's interesting because both of his dreams were inevitably not going to work out because uh, for nohoko uh, she was ill and there's so much foreshadowing that she's going to pass away and then for the planes you know caproni's been warning him since the beginning that this dream you have is cursed um yet he still maintains that like naive optimism Uh, And then even at the end when he says like not a single plane returned Caproni says there was nothing to return to airplanes are beautiful cursed dreams waiting for the sky to swallow them up so it's kind of this idea that you know this whole time Juro has known that neither of these things are going to last yet he's hold on to them so fiercely and so I feel like this ending scene is really about him kind of like acknowledging uh, the nature of the wind that it comes and goes and he has to
0: accept this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good ending, but it's just so sad.
2: Uh, and to be to put on my Sarah hat and be a skeptic again, <laughs> um, <laughs> I like how Caproni says, uh, to Nohoko whenever they see her down there waiting for him. Also, to note that she looks exactly the same as when you first met her, so that's kind of the idea of her leaving so that her his memory of her is intact. But, anyways, um, he says, you know, she's been waiting down there for a long time, and I, I. I don't know what did you think of that because I thought you'd have opinions
1: um maybe it could be interpreted that she she might have been kind of ready to maybe like accepted death for a while before and was just trying to like kind of hang on Mm -hmm. for Jiro and his sake as he's trying to kind of complete his dream plane you know you know because as you know she leaves back to the mountains like right after he's completed and he's like oh we're going to test it today so I I think I think it could be interpreted as that she was
2: maybe holding on yeah. for him that's I think that's beautiful um and you know I, I was actually thinking more skeptically like you know she's been waiting here for a long time like you put so much energy into this play you should be paying attention to your wife but I actually I actually like what you have to say better because I think I do have a little more optimistic view of the relationship but uh yeah I don't know so like Final thoughts, or if we want to talk more about <laughs> the wind is rising, because they quote it so many times. Uh, we did a little preliminary research, and we know that it's based on a novel, which then turned into a poem. Maybe we're a little confused on the order by uh, Paul Valery. Uh, he has a poem, and it is the wind. Uh, the quote is the wind is rising. We must try to live, which Jiro says very early on, because um, I think Nahoko says it to him in French, but. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I love the quote so much, but I'm sorry, I have to rush because um I have work and I'm really late. Oh (laughs) oh
2: no, (laughs) I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're
0: good. I don't want to cut it off, but um, so for the quote, I really love um the quote that opened like the whole scene of the movie, which is "The wind is rising. We must try to leave," Mm -hmm. because I just feel like it's reflect like both of the meaning of the wind, like the positive one and the negative one like we mentioned like um through this podcast and yeah for me just like the challenge for Jiro is always there and all they have all he has to do is just like hang on there and leave yeah and on the other hand just like the wind is rising like his stream is already there like rising up mm-hmm. and no matter why he just have to accept it no matter like is it become like a, a passenger mm-hmm. airplane or like a fighting airplane? So yeah, that's that's yeah. how I interpret it. Yeah. Well,
2: Miss Betty, if you have to go to work, <laughs> we can we can wrap up. Actually, if y'all want, in the next episode, we can just like talk about our review. We don't. We can save the final thoughts. Maybe just like put it at the beginning of next episode.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay.
2: So oh just to end us, so we have a clean end, Um, I will say another beautiful quote from my boy Jiro. Okay. Who has seen the wind? Neither I nor you. But when the leaves hang trembling, the wind is passing through. Let the wind carry these wings, carry these wings to you. Beautiful. That's being a little dramatic. Okay. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. we'll see y'all next time and we'll talk about our final thoughts and ratings. But thank mm-hmm. you for listening. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.